Hello there! You are listening to At The Well, the weekly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of Scripture. I'm Jarrell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And we are delighted that you're joining us for this week's discussion. We're, we're going to start on a, a somber note. Uh, Michigan State's football team Somber? Michigan's... Charles, Jubilation! Charles, I'm in mourning. If you could be a more, bit more sensitive. Uh, you're not Michigan, wearing black. My shoes are black. <laughs> and most of my socks. Just so, yeah, wonderful, um, wonderful news. The heretics known as Sparty uh, beats my Michigan Wolverines yesterday. And wonderful you know, day. there's a, it's, it's just, it's quiet around the Merrill household as we um, mourn this great tragedy and travesty of uh, football justice. Um, uh, Eli, I know that she, you're I not don't even, care at all. <laughs> I'm so happy this is not on my radar. <laughs> I'm so happy. Paul Bunyan came home. It's it's wonderful. It was such. I will have to. I do have to say. You have to admit it was a good game to watch. I did not watch the game. Oh well, (laughs) I was expecting a blowout, and it wasn't. I am obviously very happy that uh, it Paul Bunyan ended on our side. Michigan, Michigan State, Paul play for the Paul Bunyan Paul Bunyan Trophy. Um, So that's to which I'm referring. but it was a very exciting game to watch. And even more exciting because Sparty came home with the win at the big house. So It's a sad day. Uh, it's a sad, <laughs> sad day. But you know what? Not all hope is lost, wonderful listeners, because the Detroit Lions are 3-3. Three 3-3. and 3-3. Three. Three and, three. Three and, three. And, and hope is on the horizon. Hope is on the horizon. It's... Uh, we, we won a nail-biter last week, so that's what I'm putting my hope in. The Wolverines have, have, have broken me. Don't, the, don't, don't put your hope too much. We just got smoked by the Colts by 20 points. So I'll be honest, I forgot it was Sunday. <laughs> and I forgot the Lions were currently playing. <laughs> yeah, it was not, not, no longer. <laughs> oh, no. We, we just lost by 20 points. <laughs> we we were go <laughs> I'm Jarellas left the room. Literally. <laughs> I was in the same place. I, I was like three and three. We pulled out a win against the Falcons last week. And um and we've lost to the Colts by twenty points. We're back to we're back to same old, same old Lions. Yeah, so if you know just say some prayers to the Merrill household. All of our teams are losing. <laughs> it's a sad, sad day. Come on, Lions. Well, we'll we'll try to transition out of that to our question of the week segment. <laughs> if you'd like to submit a question for us to answer during the segment, you can email us at three guys at the well at gmail.com. That's the number three. Then guys at the well, all one word and lowercase at gmail.com. This week's question comes from our friend Felix, who asked us if you inherited a large sum of money at this present moment, how do you honestly think you would use it? So before we started recording, <laughs> we decided to be a bit more specific to caveat this with a specific dollar amount. And I said, a million? And Eli, this is a a verbatim quote that he cannot dispute because he's in the room. (laughs) He he looked at me and said, oh, well, that's nothing. So we are. I, we should have changed the intro. You are not joined by Jarrell, Charles, and Eli. You are joined by Jarrell, Charles, and Bougie. Eli. <laughs> I am here. It's <laughs> getting beret. <laughs> um. So as okay, Wait, fine. And, and 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 but 
to be clear, we're tax talking free. about talk tax free. Million dollars tax free. Million million tax free. Tax free. That, was, that was Eli's biggest contention. But taxes. I was like, this is a hypothetical situation. Just, Why would we put taxes I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's hope. You know, I'm hoping I get a million dollars tax free. But, um, <laughs> okay, so fine. Um, a million dollars tax free. I'm tithing, of course. So really, I only have a 900,000. Um, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I am paying off <laughs> bills for my mom, for my aunt. Um, I am buying my own home, but not like an excessive home. Cause that's irritating. Like that's not a, don't, don't do that. Um, you don't need to do that. Buy a home. That's nice. Um, but that's smaller scale i don't want a big old yard i think that's a waste unless you're a farmer i think that a lot of yard space is actually like a waste oh, well of, i mean yeah you don't do much it's basically you're just basically clipping grass every week it's aggravating um unless you're gonna use the land for something so i would probably get like a thing like play outside <laughs> <laughs> two kids can play in a small yard <laughs> Bougie you know, Eli is bougie, out, also anti-yard. No, <laughs> Bougie Eli is also single Eli. It's <laughs> nothing about yard space. Um, but a nice townhome, a brownstone, perhaps, in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't want to live in D.C. It's it's too oh, much no. traffic. It's actually um, miserable. But, like, I would want to serve people with it somehow. But I want it to be – I don't I, – I wouldn't want it to be just let me fork over a bunch of money to an organization that's going to disperse it in ways that I don't know. Mm-hmm. It would be like how can I be a part of the boots on the ground in the trenches work? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would just require research. My point is I would handle it well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I'm in a similar vein as you. I would pay off uh, my wife's student loans and probably that of – her siblings um yeah i would probably pay off my mom's place and i'd either want to start a new a completely new uh outreach or like some sort of community outreach and use the funds to build that up to something that's like sustaining self-sustaining and like fills a need or like you said Eli, i want to partner with people who are doing that work and like fund some of their more ambitious projects that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do so I'd want to I'd want to get creative with it, yeah, yeah, and like take care of bills. So we don't have to well just debt. So we don't have to worry about that, and then think well, what's the best way that I can put this to work and in creative ways to meet specific needs in the communities around us. Agreed. Mm. I mean, yeah, tithe. Um, I would I would take care of my wife's student loans. Um, I would buy. So we're we're currently looking to buy a home. Have been since March. I won't get into that saga, but I would buy a home. <laughs> just cash. Just walk up to protect. I was about to say I mean, cash. I could. So many more options. But I, I I think I would probably do like fifty percent down, like fifty percent cash, finance the rest, so that I could be free to do the other things that I want to do. Make sure that my my kids' future is taken care of. My retirement is taken care of. Um, and then the rest, I would do something. I've always liked the idea of like starting some kind of foundation. Um, I would always, um, so late in my high school career, I got involved in musical theater. I really wish I'd done it earlier. Um, and I went to a, a small private, um, uh, Catholic high school with an amazing, uh, drama teacher who didn't have many resources available to her, but 
uh, did amazing things with that which she had. And um, we've been trying to get a theater at Father Gilbert Richard in Ann Arbor for a while. I would I would give a significant chunk of money for for, mm. for them to get a theater. Um, I've always thought that that's something I want to do, and I'd probably take my my family, like my brothers, sisters, and my parents, um, and mine to Disney World because I think we never got a chance to go to Disney World as a family, and um, that would be awesome. Mm. That was going to be, like, my follow-up question. If you, like, other than wanting to do good things with it, if you were like, this is just a really expensive thing that would be very nice, like, what would it be? I think you took mine. Because I've never been to Disney World. I'm sorry. It's, no, it's a it's magical... Fine. I mean, it's a magical place. Which it's, one's in Orlando? Walt Disney World. Disney World. I've been there. I don't need to see adults dressed up as cartoon characters. Don't you dare. I'm sorry. Don't you... How One of the happiest... You? I'm so, okay. Okay, besides getting married and Aaliyah <laughs> being yeah. born. Yeah, I was One of the yourself. happiest... <laughs> Days of my life when I got to meet Winnie the Pooh and Mickey Mouse, and I'm that so... happened on the same day. And it was what? magical. I'm and I'm happy for you. Are there's, you? There's not a <laughs> cell in my body that is not like yay, brother. But also, <laughs> I'm I don't like I don't I know there's a person under there. I know, but there's that's no... not all it is. It's like it's the whole thing. I haven't been, but it's the it's whole the, thing. It's not about the co- people dressed in the costumes. No, granted, like getting to meet Mickey mm-hmm. was amazing, mm-hmm. but it's just the environment. It's there's something about not just it's not just the people. It's yeah. not just the rides. It's, it's just the place. It's, it's the place. It's... I can't. I get it. I get it. I am someone who watches wrestling along with Jarrell. I good friend. get. This... Yeah, I get the beauty of make believe. I get the beauty of theatrics. I get. I get it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying I don't care enough <laughs> to spend a bunch of money <laughs> to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? Like I. I don't. I. Yeah. I got a great imagination right up here. <laughs> I don't. So listeners, I think what you're hearing is you should sponsor us or find Patreon, people please. to sponsor us on the Patreon. <laughs> Send at the well to Disney World. <laughs> if that for is no other reason, for Eli's sake, to change his mind. Oh wow! Okay, we're there doing we that. There we go. This is this is what we need to change my mind. <laughs> it's, it's like, do, do you believe that Disney is magic? Sponsor us. <laughs> Eli's experience of Disney World. We would vlog the whole thing. Sure. Yeah. It would be great. We would, yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll go. Sandy and I have talked about wanting to go once without kids, and then. I guess bringing children, God willing. Um, we're we're gonna bring you. You will ha- you will pay your own way. <laughs> but we will bring you. I'm waiting for the day where like I'm like I wonder where Eli is. I haven't seen her from a couple of days, and then suddenly it's like your social media is blowing up with like you in a Mickey Mouse hat. It's like did he go without us? <laughs> oh, that'd be so petty if I like pretended I was I didn't care at all, and then you see me a week from now. It's like I've got the flight. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, sponsor at the well. Send us to Disney World. Like, you know we do other important things too. But right. Send Eli to Disney World. <laughs> All right. So let's let's transition to not Disney related things, which is typically a theme on the show. Uh, so today's passage is from First Kings chapter twelve, verses one through twenty-four. If you have your Bibles and you aren't driving, you can start turning there now while I set the scene. Rehoboam had two generations worth of big shoes to fill. His grandfather David was a legendary warrior and one of the most beloved kings in the history of Israel. His father Solomon had a penchant for the excess. During his reign, he commissioned the temple of the Lord to be rebuilt, along with expansive forests, vineyards, and orchards. Enter Rehoboam. No military record, 
No renowned creativity or extravagant projects, just a guy. And the first real test of this young king would occur almost immediately when he was confronted by citizens of Israel who had been suffering under high taxation during Solomon's reign. Rehoboam couldn't have known the impact that his response would have. He couldn't have known that his response would result in consequences that would reshape Israel for generations. He couldn't have known how fragile the kingdom of Israel was at that moment and how a hasty decision could plunge it headfirst into division and chaos. Surely, if he had known, he would have considered it a bit more prudently. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived and said, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown, with him, grown up with him said, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made, your, made your, our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue. But all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom of Rehoboam to the son of Solomon. 
But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Another, another hefty passage we've got there. So what are some things that stand out to you guys? I feel this theme coming up of just navigating daddy issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, seriously. <laughs> yeah. And as yeah. someone yeah. who had daddy issues and the Lord needed to like bring me through that and like heal my heart, which was in disrepair and um, like work with me and show me that he was my father. And if he's my heavenly father, then I don't have daddy issues because he's love and he's healing and he is good and holy and righteous and invites me to be exactly like him. Mm. Right. Um, and so the, I, I just like as an, as an encouragement, I feel the you aren't always called to fill your father's shoes, mm. but you are always called to be good and obedient to God. Mm. And like in your introduction to this passage, Jarrell. Um, you mentioned that like Rehoboam didn't have this vast project in front of him, which is what Solomon had when he was building the temple, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, there might have been some comparisons going on with Rehoboam and thinking about his two, his forefathers. But like, that's not what God called you to. And if you're, and if you, instead of trying to focus on well, what happened before me, it's good to know history, but it's also like, well, where is God taking us? Where is God taking Israel? And as and as someone who was called to lead a flock of people, particularly an entire nation, you should be most concerned with where the, with where God is bringing those people, not mm-hmm. where they've been. And like ultimately, his asinine behavior led to the division. Like that was the that was what God used to divide Israel. Mm-hmm. That's not a small thing. You majorly mucked up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I don't know, there's there's like a, a taking a step back that I think everybody who's in leadership needs to have. And it's like, well, not what do I want to achieve, not what was achieved before me, but what does God want mm. to achieve through me? Yeah. Like, what is what is this upward relationship? Sorry, for those who are listening, I'm pointing upward because I want to emphasize <laughs> the, like, God and you. Like, God is set up for all of us to have a certain amount of good works, right? Like, God wants to give us assignments focus on that mm. um yeah yeah i the, the, the daddy issues is, is certainly something that's coming up i i wrote down that rehoboam was not only swayed by the young men who he ultimately took their counsel but maybe that's what's not um put in here He's, he was swayed by watching his father rule yep and and solomon is is a great man he was a great king um, and commentary is reading, you know, and it says it in the passage, towards the end of his reign, he kind of put his thumb down on the Israelite people. And Rehoboam's watching this as his son. He's watching his father rule and reign. Um, and instead of being his own man, um, uh, focusing on the relationship that he has with, with God and asking God, what am I supposed to do now that I have this authority and this power? He doubled down on the pattern that his father showed him. And, and it just points to the fact that parents and those in authority of children have a responsibility to show how to handle authority and power yeah. prudently. 
Mm. Um, I don't think Solomon did that very well, and and Rehoboam just continued in that pattern. Mm. I mean, Rehoboam has some some fault here as well, yeah. um, but he was just following in line with what he had seen and how his father handled it. Um, and and I was struck by like it's not just about uh, modeling how do we treat others who are under us, but how do we treat others who um, are equal to us, and how do we treat others who are above us, um, and and modeling that well. Mm. Um, a friend of ours, Jeff, likes to say or likes to say, I want to be a man of authority mm-hmm. who is also under authority. And the first time he said that to me was striking. I've always really liked that. And I think as shepherds of the flock, we need to remember that the Lord may give us authority in certain areas for, you know, parents over children, teachers over students and the like. Um, But we also are under authority and we need to model the authority that we've been given, Mm. but also model what it means to be under authority because we are all under Christ. And what does that relationship look like Mm -hmm. that, that of the one that you, we are under authority. Absolutely. It's, um, it's almost exactly what's in our theme verse for the season in first Peter five, at the end of it, it says, you know, serve willingly and things not to do. And then it says, nor is being Lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And a couple episodes ago, or the last, a couple episodes ago, we talked about, you know, the courage and the wisdom it takes to be someone through whom God is going to impart justice or consequences for his people. And it's not about looking away from it or shielding people from it. It's about justly and righteously discerning what that consequence is so that the people in your care will learn and grow and come to repentance. And that is true. But to your point, Charles, I think that what we what also needs to be taken into consideration for those who are leaders is the humility that you need to have in order to lead effectively to be in authority, but also under it. And I think in the case of like Rehoboam and Solomon, like he saw Solomon make bad decisions with the people that put unnecessary strain on them. And as that as for that is his only reference point was like, well, I'll just continue to double down on it. And I'm reminded of times where there have been people that I look up to who have made mistakes, but who have owned them. And like how edifying that is for the body and how much of a game changer it is for all the people who are watching you. Because that's the thing with Solomon, with David, with, Reba, with anyone who's in any sort of position of leadership, like you are being watched more than you realize. And I'm just like, thinking how much different it would have been if Solomon in his old age realized that that was something that he had messed up on and said, yeah, that was, that was wrong. I'm sorry for that. And that's something that I shouldn't have done. And I think that's the call to each of us in our various flocks. I think that's the call to parents, to teachers, to anyone, to not just be the voice of reason and the authority who's eager to like lay down the law, but to be the first person to apologize. Mm -hmm. Like I think about my mom, like when I was growing up, we would have blow ups uh, sometimes. And consistently when I was just like an arrogant kid who like wouldn't own like any kind of mistakes, my mom would be the first person to say, I'm sorry. Like I shouldn't have said that to you or I got very angry and that wasn't right. And I shouldn't have uh, responded in the way that I did. Uh, Like I've had teachers who have done that as well, who like have said something out of anger. So like, I'm sorry, that was wrong of me. 
And I think about in those moments, like just how compelling and how convicting it is to see that in people who do have authority and the right to exercise it, to be self-reflective, to be humble, and to not just rush to own and use their authority, but to lay it down and say, for the sake of modeling it, my bad, I, I messed up and I want you to learn from my mistakes. Like that takes a humility that I want to strive after. And I think that shepherds and whatever flocks they're in, we need to strive after. Um, in terms of, so I have a commentary on the, both the vertical and the horizontal relationships going on. Um, so we know that Rehoboam's father was gifted with this immense wisdom, like renowned wisdom from the Lord. And that's what he used to employ um, a lot of his decision-making throughout his reign. But Rehoboam didn't have that. Um, what Rehoboam had, though, was like records of his father's wisdom. Mm. We know that there were scribes who wrote down what Solomon spoke about and how he handled himself inside of meetings and so on and so forth. Um, so it's not like he didn't have access to the good parts of what his father left behind. Um, but he chose to surround himself with people who built, who made him feel as confident as I think he thought his father felt. Mm. Um, and by that I mean like, I don't have, I'm, I, I don't have the means to do the, to like, I don't have the, I don't have the access to the wisdom that God gave my father. But I do have these friends that make me feel like I'm, I'm mighty. Mm. Um, and they're going to help me to use my authority in a way that makes me feel feel powerful. Mm. Well, if, you're, if you already have authority, you're already powerful. Mm. So what do you need to waste time feeling powerful for? What do you need an ego trip for? Um, and so, like, just the general cautionary tale of, like, being wary of the company you keep mm -hmm. is the horizontal portion of this. Like, I don't know. I just... In this sense, I just see another, like, similarly to Abimelech, I see someone who's who's alone, mm -hmm. um, who, like, didn't invite the Lord into their life, um, who didn't have, like, a gift to receive from God because he wasn't concerned with that vertical relationship. But I also just see so many people surrounded by awful influences. So in, in terms of leadership, how would you two envision steering someone away from, like, a motley crew of... <laughs> just unhelpfulness right because it's not just like kids or the people we shepherd being alone and being awful you said in previous episodes like these things love company and so as a parent charles you have to think about well what does it mean to safeguard my kids against their peers like that's a bit like <laughs> that's just that's scary because at a certain point other children are going to have just as much influence over your kids as you do and um, see them for a longer right like a larger period of their right time. and you as a teacher witness these things happening all the time mm -hmm. so it's like how are both of you on either side of this thinking about this it's something <laughs> that probably you'll be thinking about for the rest of my life until <laughs> i become an empty nester yeah um, yeah and even then <laughs> and probably even then i think i think it's like how intentionally thinking about the environments that we put our children in yeah um but we also don't, I also don't want to like shelter my kid. We oh, talked about this yeah. in the last, so th th I think there's a nuance and a balance here that like, I don't, I don't want to intentionally put or, or facilitate environments where my kids are going to be in, um, <laughs> be, become in chaos or like, um, swayed in different ways or greet in with the wrong crowd. 
at the same time, I don't want to shelter them from having to make bold decisions for the Lord mm-hmm. or to be salt and light in the environments in which they're in, mm-hmm. um, which I also think it's important. So I think it's a fine, yeah. nuanced balance. I've always thought um, I want to be, you know, when my children grow up, like I they, they I want them to have friends and I want to hang out. But I also want to I want to see who their friends are. So like you can hang out, you can hang out at our house. Mm-hmm. Um you bring anybody you want over to our house, but I want to see what, who you're bringing over, who you're hanging out with. Um, I think like, you know, school choice is an important one. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and and it's one we're going to have to face at some point, private or public. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so these are some of the things that I, 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 I am thinking me and Chelsea are thinking about. Yeah. I think, uh, when I think of my students and I think of the ones who like, are just they're they're just not the best influences on each other um and even ones who i don't who don't really have that problem i try i was trying when you said that i was trying to consider who picture students like who are kids who if i saw them hanging out with a crowd that was surprising that i would feel comfortable enough to like call it out and be like what are you doing and it's it's the kids who i have a good relationship with and by good i just mean that like I know them and there's enough trust there to be very upfront like what are you doing and I think one of the ways we do this to answer your question is to like we talked in a previous episode about being seen and being people who help others feel seen I think that the context for parenting for teaching for coaching in which you can kind of call out the surrounding uh, elements of someone's like social crew is to like be very intentional in relationships so that you can in a way remind them of who they are and like speak to them in in a way that says like this isn't you like and for like from a position of like authority not because you are lording over them because you know them and like love them and there's enough context and trust in your relationship that like if you call it out it's like oh like reminding people of like their actual uh, identity and the things that make them who they are and saying this isn't that like this, this stuff that you're doing isn't actually aligned with who you want to be like I tell my seniors uh, like my parting words for them when they graduate usually is surround yourself with the kind of people that you want to be like not just the people that you're comfortable around not just the people who to your point Eli make you feel powerful in a superficial way like surround yourself with people who you look up to who are your age and younger than you, who you're like, there's something about you that is good and genuine and I want to be like you. Um, And I think that if you're in a position of seeing that that's not someone's uh, surroundings, yeah, it comes from context. It comes from knowing them and like doing the legwork beforehand of just being uh, a shepherd so that you can call that out with love. Like I've been I feel like almost every time I record, I talk about the last dance. Um, (laughs) Again, the last dance, Michael Jordan, and the Bulls documentary on Netflix. I've watched it way too many times since April, but there's a moment where Michael Jordan's talking about his father and the influence his father had on him. And he said that when he was in high school, he like, he went through a phase where he was getting in a lot of trouble and he was hanging out with kids that like were bad influence on them. And he was again suspended all the time. And he said that his dad, it wasn't this long, like, come to, like, come to Jesus moment. He said his dad just sat him down and was like, this stuff that you're doing, like, if you keep doing this, like, you can forget about sports. You can forget about the, the goals that you set for yourself. And he was like, and that's actually all I needed. Like, I needed to be reminded of, like, 
who I wanted to be. And then, like, he tells stories about when he was a rookie in the league and he was traveling with guys who were, like, doing really heavy drugs and, like, getting around with um, a lot of women. How he, like, decided, like, in a specific instance, like, this isn't for me. Like, I want to work hard. I want to train. I want to be good at what I do and focus on my craft. And, like, as a kid, chose for that, partially because his dad reminded him who he was at a young age. So I guess that's a long-winded answer. But taking the time to really know the people that you are shepherding so that if they're straying, it's like, I know you and this isn't you. Um, so that means a lot more. Thank you. Both of those fantastic answers. I'm just a student just learning from both of you in, in, this, in this series, which I'm actually kind of appreciating taking a, a front row seat. I feel like I, I'm a student every time we come into this podcast. <laughs> like, I just, I just suck in the, the knowledge suck and the wisdom. The down. <laughs> yeah, amen. I think is. I guess like one like closing up for me is um, the notion of like Eli, you made a point to say like this split Israel, like this split an entire nation of people, and one thing I was convicted of in this is we talked a lot about consequences of sin personally and natural consequences that we can kind of grow numb to but still lead to spiritual death. Sin has consequences for the people around you as well. Mm. And, like, that's what I took for Rehoboam. And, like, we can get so caught up in, like, ah, well, like, if we get numb to a certain sin or just way of thinking to think it's just us and, like, maybe we're handling it well by our own, like, broken standards. But there's so much that can hurt the people around us and so much that if we are not wary and obedient to God, our lack of obedience can damage them too. And that's what happened with Rehoboam. Like, he chose to just go with the yes-men that were surrounding him and it split an entire nation and immediately after led to like his uh, financial guy getting stoned and then led to even more death and war. And yeah, there's something about that too, as leaders being obedient and aware of the fact that those things have consequences, but also helping other people to see them. So like when I coach basketball, one thing that I'll do with kids who cut, like consistently need to be reminded not to talk while I'm talking, I'll warn them a couple times and then eventually I'll pull them aside if they keep doing it. And I'll have the rest of the group doing drills and I'll ask, like, do you know why you're in timeout? And they'll go, yeah, I was talking when I shouldn't be talking. And they're like, they, they get it. They know they shouldn't be doing it. But again, they're numb to it. And then I'll say, like, do you realize that every time I have to stop to, like, get your attention, practice stops for everybody? Like, do you realize that every time we have to stop to, like, go to timeout and come back and I have to remind you of what you're doing, nobody else gets to play. Like everyone is is held up and sometimes we don't get to things because we have to take so much time just to you know deal with you not doing something you know what to do like and i'll say to them that hurts the team like that hurts everybody because no one's playing basketball right now so can we be a good teammate and recognize how our actions are impacting other people and sometimes it works uh sometimes they're like oh because they see their friends just standing there with their basketballs not being able to do anything because we have to have a conversation they're like oh okay and sometimes it doesn't but yeah it's one of those things i try to do to show even younger kids like our actions have consequences for far bigger than us and so much more so spiritually as shepherds of various flocks we need to keep that in the front of our minds awesome well that is it thank you so much for listening you can check us out at at thewell.podbean.com we upload new episodes every monday on podbean itunes spotify and google podcasts 
You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Three Guys at the Well and head over to our Facebook page to keep the conversation going in the space we reserve for an early discussion of the topics we cover each week's episode. We'll talk to you next week.